0: word says for the spirit of heaviness put on the garment of praise that's
1: how we fight our battles
0: this is how i fight my battle this is how i fight my battle This is how I find my battles What we're doing tonight This is how I fight my battles It's when you think you're lost, lost. Uh, I don't. It may look like I'm surrounded But I'm surrounded by you Hey. It may look like I'm surrounded But I'm surrounded by you
2: to Dr. Deep State. Today we have a very special guest. Dr. E. Michael Jones is with us, the highly influential author. And I'd like to begin our session today before I introduce uh, Will Tucker and Boyd Kinsey. I would like to do, uh, ask for everybody's patience. I would like to do a brief survey of the landscape that we're about to get into today. I think uh, a lot of the events that went on last week are fortuitous, Um, they meet both with um, Dr. Jones's former work and the work that he's about to do. So we'd like to hit on some of that stuff. So in the largest sense, we would like to go over affairs in the world, affairs in the church, and the theology that both unites and divides those. And by theology, um, my conversion into Catholicism happened through God's grace. My eyes were open that uh, the Catholic church was the church started by Christ. Um, It it is his visible mystical body that superseded the old covenant and forged the new. It is the unique mechanism by which man and all of creation will be redeemed. So these remain fundamental truths even in the post-conciliar church. And I would invite people to look at the link below provided ADL and the Jews about Catholicism. Some of these lies that are highlighted are that because of recent uh, dialogues, interfaith dialogues, that Catholics no longer believe that this is the supersessionist church, that is replacement theology essentially, and that, that Catholics no longer believe that this is the one unique covenant. So um, the, this brings us over to uh, Dr. Jones. Now, in preparing this, I was wanting to find out what Dr. Jones' new book was. So when you type in E. Michael Jones and uh, Culture Wars, what comes up is a number, it's almost difficult to find the site, the number of ADL sites. In one uh, entry, he's described as a traditional Catholic and another just a Catholic. This might be pl- plausible deniability. I'll ask Dr. Jones in just a moment how he self-identifies whether or not this is accurate or not. But when we breed on, we find he, Michael Jones, uh, lumped in with, um, with Bishop Williamson, with Kevin McDonald, with Michael Hoffman. So there's sort of this net. These. Um, these claims by the ALL, they say that anybody that still holds to these traditional beliefs or these dogmas of the church, supersessionism and no faith, no uh, salvation outside of the church, the only Catholics, according to the ADL, that they've sussed because of their interfaith dialogue, the only people that still hold to these are far right-wing, anti-Semitic, conspiracy-minded individuals, such as the ones just mentioned, which brings us into the current community of Catholic traditional influencers, who I think have heard the message and understand the algorithms and will not touch those authors and this debate, which are core claims of Catholicism. That is the one unique church, one covenant alone. There's not multiple covenants. And this is also very significant because of the law of non-contradiction, something both can't be and not be. And I believe this is the space that a lot of uh, traditional Catholic influencers as a network are trying to tread in between these uh, phases and it's very problematic. I believe it's problem of omission, which essentially makes them a type of gatekeeper. And uh, even we could say beyond being a gatekeeper, they operate as a type of, sorry, (laughs) limited hangout. And that's kind of harsh language, but when you really get down to it and push it, that's what it's become. So um, being sort of cuckold in this sense uh, by the ADL and kind of hamstrung here, who they do go for for information on the schisms in the church are people the likes of Ben Shapiro who has taken on the role of defining the Judeo-Christian role of the schism. He seems to operate as a epistemic community for the coming schism in the church. Now, this brings us to a more interesting point, which is what's broken out this week with Elon Musk and the lawsuit. Um, there's, there's information out there that the ADL is in, this is radical, that they're inside people's homes looking for hate speech. And it's to the point where anybody stands up for the cork doctrines of the Catholic Church can be accused of hate speech. Never mind the fact that all of this deals with real legal situations like slander and libel. So this is where we're kind of treading And the breakthrough this week. And I think Dr. Jones is going to have some great insights into this. But the um, we got now um, maybe some of this with Musk as AstroTurf, but the grassroots element seems to be very big this momentum that's building up ban the adl there's actually an open conversation about this right now so that people like shapiro and miller are coming out and saying well the adl says a couple good things like the zionist things but essentially that's a democrat thing that's a left-wing thing so they're divorcing themselves meanwhile in the twilight zone people like alex jones saying this is a Hitler Nazi organization that pretends to be Jewish or it's associate. you can't even decipher what that's about. Our claim here is that the Catholic claim of the supersessionist church is fundamental to the millennial reign, the two, where the saints are, which have been under attack since the Reformation. So together, our ability to hold to these dogmatic truths, I think are a restraining advice A restraining advice, a restraining device involving the Holy Spirit. And unless we can get out of this law of non-contradiction and stand for these fundamental truths, this gate of of the church, um, this is really blocking the gates of hell from coming upon us. And so the critical piece of this is the influencers, the traditional influencers that should be preserving this, the salt Uh, on these claims of Catholicism are really wavering, and it's problematic. And I think we may, depending on where Dr. Jones wants to go into this, introduce another problem in the church, which is one individual that's coming in with his prophecies and his typologies that has a lot of baggage dealing with um, dual covenant theology. He has been embraced by this traditional community, and I think it's a problem that needs to be highlighted I'm sorry for that long introduction dr. Jones you can pick up any place you like with the excitement this week Elon Musk and if you care to kind of address do you even self-identify as just do you, do you self identify as a devout Catholic a Catholic are you okay with the traditional Catholic um, uh, label on yourself good well thank you sure. for
3: that introduction uh, um, I- I'd like to uh, kind of state my position uh, as a a rower on the St. Joe River. Uh, I row uh, on a regular basis in a very narrow boat. It's a racing shell. It's maybe about 18 inches wide at its widest. And uh, I am competing with uh, bass boats that have 250 horsepower engines Uh, that have to race. There's only a mile and a half you can go from the boat ramp and they have to race by you. And what happens is that uh, they create a wake and you just start bouncing up and down. I think that's the metaphor for, Uh, my position in the intellectual world as well you have these big uh, boats like the ADL that go by and then they just cause a wake and there's turbulence and it's hard to keep concentrating you know it's hard to row in a situation like that and get forward to where you want to go Um, now to get back to the uh, a more specific issue uh, I just got Bob Zungenis's latest book uh, which is about the whole history of what happened here with supersessionism. Uh, this story began at Culture Wars. It's the magazine that we edit when Bob Syngenis wrote an article, and I believe it was 2009, in which he said that the 2006 Catholic catechism was heretical, And it had a heretical statement in it, and the heretical statement was basically that the Mosaic Covenant is eternally valid. That was a statement of the United States Catholic bishops, and it turns out that the bishops were surprised to learn about this. So after the article came out, there was a a consternation, and the bishops themselves voted to take that statement out. Now, we have to make a distinction here because we're talking about the Catholic Church, of the actual Catholic Church, the actual bishops who are the successors of the apostles, and the people they hire basically to do their work for them. Uh, That's called the United States Catholic Conference as opposed to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So at this point, the bishops say this statement must be removed. Now, this is 19, 2009. They have published an enormous number of these catechisms that have gone out. You know, hundreds of thousands of these catechisms have gone out. And the bureaucrats at this point, the USCC, C.C. The, the C.C.B. Uh, say, yes, we'll do that. Yes. You can count on us. Now, these are bureaucrats. They're not bishops. And what happens is for 10 years, nothing gets done. Nothing. Absolutely nothing got done. Now, this is the way these people take control of the church. And if you're talking about someone like the notorious uh, head of Catholic Jewish dialogue, Eugene Fisher, what you have is a man who is working for the Jews to influence the Catholic bishops. That is always going to be the strongest force field, because when that bass boat goes by at 50 miles an hour, it disrupts everything. And the people running that bass boat are the ADL, the Jewish organizations that have been engaging in this uh, mendacious dialogue with the Catholic Church for years now. So what happens? 2019, they bring out a new translation, and they start quoting St. Paul in a completely mendacious way. Uh, about the gifts belong, the word belong, as Bob Sogenius points out, goes back to the original Greek, is not in the original Greek. It's of, it's a kind of uh, a subordinate clause, The, the and he, it says the Israelites. That's the word that is used. So what happens here? They translate Israelites as the Jewish people. No, that's not true what happens when you turn it into the jewish people well i guess it means uh uh, jonathan greenblatt right he's the one who received the promise right this is all of the things that saint paul is talking about to jonathan greenblatt belong the promise and the covenant and all this other it's worse than the first statement because it has the aura of respectability because you're quoting saint paul in a completely mendacious way now that fact the the hijacking of the office of bishops by bureaucrats at the USCCB whatever whatever USCC I'm sorry I confuse these things is the main fact that we have to deal with now this is important because it saves The Catholic Church. It saves the magisterium of the Catholic Church because only the bishops are allowed to exercise this magisterium. And what we have is clear evidence now with this passage of malfeasance on the part of bureaucrats who I could name. uh, But let's just talk about Eugene Fisher, the the man who was in charge of Catholic Jewish dialogue for years uh, and basically sold the farm, gave away the farm on this type of thing. That's the fundamental fact that we have to deal with. So I come into the picture that was right around the time I was going to bring out the Jewish revolutionary spirit, the book, which I think allowed people to talk about the Jewish question in a way that uh, was uh, uh, accurate, uh, that was consonant with church tradition and was not based on racial categories like anti-Semitism. The Jews have been upset with that ever since. I have been number one, public enemy number one, but with both the SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center, and the ADL now for going on 15 years, ever since that book came out, because they cannot answer that book. They cannot. If they've had 15 years to point out the errors and there's not one thing they have pointed out, instead they engage in identity theft and try and uh, call me something that I am not, which is to say a racist, okay? In the beginning, the ADL profile said, uh, E. Michael Jones is not a racist. He's, well, if I'm not a racist, then you can't accuse me of anti-Semitism because anti-Semitism is a racial uh, concept, came into into being 1871, Wilhelm Marr in Germany, okay? Before that, but so they said, but he's, Anti-Jewish, well, uh, I have to plead guilty to that because the entire gospel is anti-Jewish. The gospel of St. John is anti-Jewish. The entire early church was anti-Jewish because you had this battle between the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Jews who crucified him. That's never gonna go away. And so just recently they tried to pin the whole racial thing on me again with a completely mendacious, underhanded way of saying, uh, my assistant here asked me, so what is classical antisemitism? And I said, it's biological determinism. And they jump on and say, see, Jones is a racist. And then I called them on it. We printed, we we, uh, posted the original interview and the ADL had to back down. So this sets the stage now for what is the biggest event since the invention of the computer. Well, let's, okay, let's back off a little bit. Since the passage Of the Communications Decency Act of 1992, which paved the way for uh, pornography to be flooded through the Internet, thanks to Bill Clinton and his cronies, which is the conflict between Elon Musk and the ADL over Twitter. Now, before the whole point of this, uh, their campaign is to base it on identity theft and isolation. So they refer to me as some type of fringe character. Now, wait a minute. This book proves that supersessionism is the mainstream of Catholic theology ever since the crucifixion, when the Mosaic Covenant, the veil of the temple was ripped in half and the Mosaic Covenant expired. And then to, to make that absolutely uh, uh, emphatic, uh, God allowed the Romans to destroy the temple At this point, there is no possibility of fulfilling the Mosaic Covenant because you have no temple, no priesthood, and no sacrifice. That has been the consistent teaching of the Catholic Church for 2,000 years, including Nostra Tate, Vatican II. That that is not an exception, and anybody who says it is just lying to you. And the point that we're seeing here is you've got a lot of uh, fifth-column operatives within the bureaucracy of the Catholic Church. Their first allegiance is to the Jews. Their first allegiance is to the project of Catholic-Jewish dialogue, which is how they make their money. That's why they're important. And and the Jews determine who they're going to talk to. And anybody who would say that supersessionism is the constant teaching of the Catholic Church would automatically be excluded from this type of dialogue, which is what has happened. It was what happened to Bob Sanchenes, marginalized by the bureaucracy that wants to have good standing with the Jews because they're the most powerful people in the country. Obviously, who wouldn't want to be in good favor with with this group of people? But that changed last week. when, oh, So Keith Wood, Irish guy, young guy who starts tweeting about the ADL uh, says about you know who gave these people the right to destroy your life basically, which is a good question, and immediately Elon Musk jumps in. This is a Twitter feed and says the ADL has been trying to destroy me ever since I bought Twitter, and then he goes on to say that we've lost twenty two billion dollars worth of value in the in the uh, stock, and also that I'm planning to sue the ADL. Now this is big news because everybody knows who elon musk is he's one of the most powerful people on the face of the earth he apparently stopped the whole uh, nato attack on the on the crimea by turning off starlink so we're talking about a serious uh, player here who is now uh, gone explicitly against the adl okay naming the adl as a jewish organization naming the jew that is new no one has ever done that before of that yeah. stature. And that has created a whole new ball game. And so once he did that, the hashtag ban the ADL became the number one trend on, on Twitter, on X, whatever it's called now. And that was a serious threat to the ADL, the Jewish hegemony over discourse, because now, hey, it's not some fringe lunatic from South Bend, Indiana, which is the way I've been defamed for 15 years now. It's somebody that they everybody knows who has 140 million followers, and he's naming the Jew as the source of the problem. That's, that's why this is different. So let me just go one step further and say there's a group called the Goyim Defense League. What do they do? They, they are the ones that stand up to the Jews, right? What do they do? They organize a, a demonstration in Florida where they have Nazis giving the Hitler salute uh, in response to this whole thing. That is, if, if I said, if these people are not getting paid by the ADL, they are really stupid because this is precisely the type of move that the ADL would endorse at this point. This is not normal Americans. Normal Americans who are outraged that basically this private operation has revoked the First Amendment and we don't have a government that will stand up for us against these bullies. No, they're all Nazis and and white supremacists. No, that narrative has crashed. And not even the Goyim Defense League and all the publicity that we'll get. They can't bring it back because now we know. What are you going to say? Uh, Elon Musk is a white supremacist. This is the type of
2: seismic change that took place last week. Excellent. I, I'm, I'm glad that you hit on all of those points. I want to, um, Will has got a couple great questions that are going to tie together, I think, some of your past works and your coming work. Um, before, yes, they seem to be operating um, from the same playbook. You'll remember this, Philadelphia, 1979, James Gutman petitioning to become a Nazi uh, parade throughout uh, Philadelphia. It turns out he's Mordecai Levy, And so that same formula is is repeated over and over again. Um, Before I continue, I think nothing attests to your influence in the world more than that you are the number one target of the ADL. Uh, For me in my book, Seeing Through the Singularity, I was influenced by your um, logos. And I, there through redemption history, track uh, the enmity. And this is what I think we really got to get down to. We have to be able to verbally identify the enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent, and I do that again in my new book, um, The Contest Between Being and Non-Being. These are all parallel ideas. Um, but your book, especially that you referenced, you dare say it, that is that is the fear. I think you unleash that thesis on the world. Will Tucker, please help us out stringing some of this together.
4: Dr. Jones, I admire in your articles, like in, in Cultural War Magazine recently, uh, Ratzinger in the Juden Cell in your review of the Peter Seawald book um, and Dr. Segenis' Catholic teaching on the Jews and Judaism, how your publications avoid the typical saber-rattling about Francis as the anti-pope, and instead focus attention on Benedict XVI and his legacy on the Jewish question and his equivocations around the church doctrine of supersessionism, way more heavily on the crisis in the church and the decline of Western civilization than the theater of Francis's pontificate um you you quote to quote you in one of your articles, uh, during much of his career, Ratzinger suffered from theological schiz- schizophrenia, going from liberal to conservative and back again from one day to the next. Ratzinger, who is unwilling to admit that supersessionism is eradicable in- ineradicably rooted in scripture, tradition and the church's magisterium, and therefore undeniably part of the Catholic faith. The conflation of the Eudenelle and supersessionism is a Jewish fantasy which Ratzinger, should have corrected since that connection has no basis in reality. So y- you focus on um, in these articles *Nostra Tate as the epicenter of Vatican II's doctrinal shift toward uh, the, the Jewish question, and with the inclusion of the term anti-Semitism, which you uh, point to as provoking a shift in um, culture where uh, the 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 sacral authority of the Church over um, over media publications allowed for Jewish monopolies to form, uh, and you point to the, the film The Pawnbroker, and lifting of decency laws. Um, so you know what many call the weaponized ambiguity of Vatican II, um, I think you have more accurately portrayed in your description of the theological wunderkind of Joseph Ratzinger, who was uh, brought into the council into the council as a kind of coup against Cardinal Ottaviani. Uh, Ratzinger was recruited to undermine the anti-modernist stance of Vatican I and the syllabus of errors, meanwhile, affirming the traditional claims of the church while opening crevices for new hermeneutical interpretations. Uh, You brilliantly refer to Ratzinger's influence over the council as he was both fireman and and arsonist simultaneously. Um, So uh, I I think, um, you know, Benedict's later work um, continues this theme around the Jewish question um particularly in a, the communal article that that you reference, uh, I think it's called um um a grace invocation without remorse um on uh, it's a kind of a rejection of the adversos Judeos, uh tradition within Catholic uh within Catholic teaching um and in in this writing he said Benedict affirms the missionary mandate is Universal with one exception a mission to the Jews was not foreseen and not necessary because they alone among all peoples, Uh, foreknew the unknown God. For Israel then, it was not a mission, but a dialogue about whether Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, the Logos, for whom, according to the promises made to his people, Israel and the whole world without knowing it was waiting, taking up this dialogue anew. Benedict said, is the duty given to us at this time? So Catholic Jewish dialogue, not mission. Um, In Robert Segenis' article in Culture Wars, he speaks of uh, Nostra Tate, through the lens of the hermeneutical continuity, um, where he says that the doctrine of supersessionism has not been rejected by Nostra Tate. But um, there seems to be some, you know, ambiguity, and you point to it with the one term anti-Semitism, how just in that one gesture it hands over the keys to the enemies of the Church to define the language of the Catholic Church for us. Um, So... On this channel and in Doug's uh, book, we discuss uh, the catacomb, the restrainer, um, that which hold back, holds back the mystery of iniquity. And it seems like you gesture with um, your insights on the, uh, the changes in Nostra Tate and the anti-Semitism question and the shift that it creates in culture that with decency laws and pornography um, and uh, the, uh, the, the church's renouncement of its um, power over Um, public discourse that there is some sort of uh, lifting of the restrainer that takes place. Um, Would you, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I would agree with what you said, except that when you said that
3: uh, Ratzinger was appointed uh, as if someone higher than him uh, had uh, were recruiting him for the CIA or something like that. I am not saying that if you want uh, agents uh, that was Malachi Martin. Malachi Martin was clearly working for the Jews at at the Second Vatican Council, uh, uh, getting direct uh, payments in terms of book royalties from from the Jews, book uh, advances from the Jews. Uh, uh, if you want to talk about dignitas Humanae, John Courtney Murray was a, was an agent, uh, I think, an agent of the CIA through. Time Magazine, which was the public uh, voice of the the propaganda ministry for the United States (coughs) through Harry Luce. Harry Luce's chief assistant was C.D. Jackson. C.D. Jackson had a dual appointment at that time as uh, on the CIA payroll and on the Time Life payroll. C.D. Jackson began as a propagandist for the Holocaust narrative uh, when he held up two uh, shrunken heads and a pelvis ashtray Uh, as the type of atrocity the Germans committed at Buchenwald. So John Courtney Murray was heavily involved with this whole CIA propaganda campaign. Uh, And I'm not saying that Ratzinger was. I'm saying if anybody appointed Ratzinger, it was Ratzinger himself who had the reputation at this point of being the the theological Wunderkind in Germany and was asked by Cardinal Frings to accompany him as a peritus down to the Second Vatican Council. That was Frings' simply reacting to Ratzinger's brilliance. I know of no plot here whatsoever. And if there were ever a man who was capable of standing up the American social engineering to Jewish vengeance of the sort of the, the Morgenthau plan exhibited or Jewish uh, uh, subversive, moral subversion campaigns like pornography, it was Cardinal Frings. And the crucial moment came I, I I think I'm the only guy who's talked about this. Maybe it was because I, my background of living in Germany for a while, but I actually looked into the background and I'm saying you can't understand Ratzinger unless you understand the fact that he was 20 years old in 1947 when the Jew Morgenthau tried to starve Germany to death. And the main man who stood up to it was Cardinal Frings. He was, he was, he was a victim of social engineering. I don't think there's—and and, and the victimhood and the aberrant behavior only increases as time goes on. So at the beginning, when he's working with Wojtyla, he says, yes, yeah, supersessionism is the teaching of the church. There's no way around it. And then he comes up with that article in Communio, which kind of tries to back away from that. And then there's this c- catastrophic collapse at the end of it. He's dead now. Uh, lecturing us from the grave in "Catechese il Cristianismo, it okay, came out in Italian, where he's having a dialogue with this Rabbi Folger from, uh, from uh, Vienna, and the rabbi has to now remind him that, yes, as a matter of fact, supersessionism is the teaching of the Catholic Church, and you used to support it. And Ratzinger is caught. It turns out that the rabbi knows more about Catholic theology than the pope. This is embarrassing. And the fact that Ratzinger is trying to grovel for the favor of this rabbi is even more embarrassing. And then the rabbi has the chutzpah to bring up the Judenzaal. Now, wait a minute. We know how the the Jews are really good at pushing their buttons. You know what I mean? And if there's one neuralgic point in German history that makes Germans cringe, it's the Judenzahl, which is basically the picture of the pig, the sow, uh, with Jews uh, riding the sow, and then there's one at the back lifting up the tail, licking the anus of the sow. The others are sucking at the sow's tits. I mean, obviously, this is not particularly complimentary for the Jews. But what's this got to do with Catholic dogma? Nothing, absolutely nothing. This is the folk, the German people's reaction to predatory Jewish behavior throughout the Middle Ages. And if you want a good example of it, go to Goethe. In Dichtung und Wahrheit, Goethe says he used to walk by the entrance to the ghetto, the Judengasse in Frankfurt. And there was a picture of the Judens out. It was a warning. You're, you're taking, you're, this is dangerous. Don't go any further here. Because if you go down that street, you'll run into Meyer Amschel Rothschild." It's the red sign outside his house and he will lend you money and that will enslave you. So stay out of the Judengasse. Now Ratzinger could have said that he knows more about German history than I do. And he completely collapses. and gives this type of fawning embarrassed uh, explanation that that's tragic. He's a tragic figure. He internalized the commands of his oppressors and the legacy was basically that he imposed the Holocaust narrative on the Catholic Church, which means that my friend uh, Sister Queen from Kenya, who is in her 30s and grew up in Kenya and is now a nun, she should bear the guilt for what happened in Germany in 1945 or something like that. This is awful. And the collapse, what happened here, the crucial moment came in 1964 when Ratzinger is there working, using Fring's as his mouthpiece to throw out the Ottaviani documents and bring in something that's positive. What does he mean by positive? Well, what does he mean by negative? He says the syllabus of errors, Pius and I syllabus of errors, and the anti-modernist those of Pius the tenth. There's a classic negative statement that we want to get away from that. That's not. This is This is a, a, what Freud would call a screen memory. What Ratzinger is talking about is we would like to get away from the guilt of the German past because we've all accepted the Jewish narrative that we're all guilty and we'll be guilty in perpetuo, forever, for what happened to the Jews. A craven acceptance of the Jewish narrative and the uh, attempt to impose that Jew- Jewish narrative on the Catholic Church at the very time, and I'm talking almost to the day, the same year that the Jews are now trying to break the code of break obscenity laws in Germany. And I'm talking specifically about a film called Das Schweigen in German or Silence, Tystvagen in Swedish, whatever it is, uh, by Ingmar Bergman, the great art director this is the essence of the art film and at that point if it had artistic value redeeming artistic value it wasn't obscene and that's the way they, they they slipped obscenity in and the german court doesn't know what to do and they collapse and they say yes it's obscene but you have to allow it well wait that's crazy that's what was happening frings was an ardent opponent of all of the attempts to put obscenity, to insert obscenity into German culture. And he supported the German legion of decency, which was called the Volksfahrtbund. And at this point, the younger generation became embarrassed by their own attempts to fight schmutz und schund. You Take that word, say that to a German, and see the reaction you get. Schmutz und schund. It's like filth and smut. They get embarrassed. It's like bringing up the Juden's out. They get embarrassed. They don't know what to say. They start to stammer. Well, that's what the problem was. And the problem was that all of those people had been brainwashed by the glossy magazines, all of which had to get licenses from a Jew by the name of David Mordecai Levy in order to be published. And they were promoting Kinsey and Kinsey was science. And are you against science? What are you talking about Schmutz und Schund? Kinsey is, this is the type of internalization of the commands of their oppressors that had tragic consequences, not only for the German people and witnessed the synod as the prime example of what I'm talking about, but for the whole Catholic church
2: as well. Excellent. Boyd, I think you might have a question, but I think what we, to pull this together, I think what's important is this concept that the core claim of the Catholic church is that it is a supersessionist church and if we can hold that in mind in this public discourse and perhaps this window of opportunity to speak about this we can kind of we we know what needs to be preserved Boyd, would you like to ask dr jones a question
1: dr jones my question uh, may or may not be related but rfk junior uh sort his hat there in the ring for uh the presidential nomination what in your opinion, is the connection between Joseph Kennedy's ideology and approach to American-European relationship to uh, to RFK's stance? Is there a, a connection in what has happened to his uh, progeny, or um, is there? No are, connection?
3: Ta- are you are you talking about his grandfather now, I the am. ambassador to England?
1: Yeah, I am. But- he had a, a very uh, anti-war stance, and um, I'm interested in how that's come down through the ages. If the his son and grandson have that
3: or not? No, the answer is no. And the answer the answer is basically what happened. Uh, What the Joseph Kennedy was a representative of America first, uh, and this was the isolationist movement that was uh, organized by the overwhelming majority of people to keep America out of the Second World War. The leaders were Charles Lindbergh, Father Coughlin, and Henry Ford, all from the Midwest. Uh, but there was a kind of Catholic connection here, I, I suppose, through Father Coughlin. And uh, Joseph Kennedy had a, a, a strong kind of Irish uh, ethnic identity. And uh, in a preconciliar church at a time when America first, as the vocabulary that allows you to articulate criticism of the Jews, uh, he was able to do that. Now, what happened is after that is World War II. And what happened after World War II is basically the conservatism now was brought in as the replacement for America first. And that was a man of, you could say Joseph, Joe McCarthy, the Kennedy family supported Joe McCarthy. There's no question about it. It was a Catholic. They supported his, uh, at this point in time, uh, Catholics and Jews were two ethnic groups and the Jews were, almost to a man communist and the Catholics were almost to a man anti-communist. And if you want uh, a reference, contemporary reference, watch Oppenheimer, where the, the Nolan, the Christopher Nolan goes out of his way to portray the Manhattan Project as a Jewish operation from start start to finish. Those people, those scientists, the Jewish scientists who were brought to Los Alamos, given asylum by the United States of America from political persecution, immediately started sending secrets to the soviet union because that was where their allegiance lay and they because of the jewish revolutionary spirit which is their identity that's what forms their identity so to get to uh how do we get to robert kennedy well first we have to go to the sun robert kennedy senior appointed attorney general by his brother so what does he do he goes after jews he goes after there's the obscenity case uh, with Eros magazine, a guy, a Jew by the name of Ginsburg. The Jews were involved in obscenity. It's illegal. This is a, a, a no brainer that the attorney general is going to go after Jewish uh, obscenity. The Jews never forgave Robert Kennedy for doing that. Though, would years later, they were still talking about Ralph Ginsburg and Eros magazine. He went after, so there's a, a guy in, um, Notre Dame quarterback becomes sheriff of, uh, uh, Newport, Kentucky and decides to clean up, uh, the uh, clean up sin city, which is basically a Jewish operation. It's Mo Dalitz, It's the Jewish Navy. It's gambling, it's prostitution. And, uh, they, uh, they, uh, lure him into a trap. They give him a Mickey Finn, uh, something that could have killed the notre dame football team he wakes up uh, half naked in a bed with a prostitute by the name of april flowers with the cameras going off robert kennedy at this point gets involved and they drive the jews out of newport kentucky and mo Dalitz goes to las vegas which is a jewish operation and eventually 1984 the adl to bring it around to the full circle here gives mo Dalits, the jewish uh, mobster uh, it's torches of Freedom Award because he gave uh, a, a lot of money to the ADL. This is the world. This is the world of reality here. Robert Kennedy drove Mo Dallas out of town and the Jews are never going to forgive him. So then Robert Jr. comes along. Who killed my father? Who killed my uncle? Now, the problem is that uh, he's got personal problems. Spending 14 years of your life as a heroin addict is not a good idea, because if nothing else, you're not all you're thinking about is your next fix. And so as a result, there's a huge gap in Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s education, what he knows and what he's allowed to say. And so he has this sense of like, uh, yeah, Israel. Yeah, we support Israel, don't we? No thinking going on here. You know what I mean? And then uh, he comes out and says, he's at a after dinner. He shouldn't have been photographed. This is a private conversation. But anyway, he goes into this thing, which wh- what he really knows well is vaccines. Okay. He's an expert on vaccines, not much else, but he knows that. And he says, Oh, there's something groove in that little DNA that makes Jews, they don't get the disease. Well, it immediately blows up. And he. He's an anti-Semite. Everybody, the Jewish Wurlitzer starts playing the same tune. Uh, Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's an anti-Semite. He has, he got hit by this. He's got blindsided. Okay. He didn't know what hit him. And so at this point, Rabbi shmuley Botik shows up and says, I know Robert Kennedy. He's not an anti-Semite. And at that point, Robert Kennedy Jr. is so grateful he rushes out, picks up an Israeli flag and starts marching down Broadway, waving an Israeli flag. This is called good cop, bad cop. It's the oldest trick in the book. And Bobby Kennedy fell for it because of What am I trying to say here? There was a disruption in American life. He understands that completely. He understands that his uncle was that was a coup d'etat that allowed another group of people, namely the Jews under Lyndon Johnson, who was the most pro-Jewish president in human history, was sleeping with a Jewish whore when the U.S. Liberty was attacked He took power, and he brought those people in, and they got brought into the FBI, and now we're in a situation where they have completely taken over the government. Uh, And Robert Kennedy is simply not sensitive, doesn't understand this. Robert Kennedy should be going after Merrick Garland. What we're seeing here is when you appoint a Jew as head law enforcement official, he will not enforce the law as it should be enforced. He will uh, let his friends, fellow Jews off the hook, and he will go at people that he doesn't like, namely Catholics who are pro-life because abortion is a Jewish sacrament. Where is Robert Kennedy on this? He's, he's missing in action.
2: That's the problem. Okay. So I'd like to pull some of this back again. Um, between really identifying and having this out there in public consciousness, now when we might have this window of opportunity, um, that the issue is the unique claim of the Catholic Church, it's supersessionist claim, and the enmity and the direction of that enmity toward that claim, um, and how we can think about this window of opportunity and perhaps even get in and uh, discuss uh, the pernicious force on both left and right, which is Zionism. But Will, I want you to um, direct us here for a moment. Can you ask Dr. Jones another question, please?
4: Certainly. Yeah, Dr. Jones, uh, go back to what I was asking previously about um, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, uh, Benedict XVI, and his approach to theology. It seems to follow this um, kind of dialectical two-step where the hermeneutic of continuity is simultaneous with the hermeneutic of rupture. Uh, When you're reading this Communio article, it's as though each sentence is the negation of the previous sentence. Every affirmation of the tradition is met with the the problematization of it next. And um, it's this kind of dialogical uh, progression through opposites. Um, And you pointed to, and this is, I think, chapter, uh, is it... uh, um, sorry chapter eight in your upcoming book um the holocaust narrative uh joseph ratzinger and Das Uy-Jau, uh jar sorry i probably butchered that pronunciation but um uh you know you're looking at his german background and the legacy of world war ii and the holocaust and the morgan style plan um how he was formed in this kind of um uh, the remnants of the Weimar era, Weimar theology, this kind of um, uh, mixing pot of uh, Jewish reform and pseudo-Catholic theologies, um, and through his mentor um, Hans Urs von Balthasar, um, he received this kind of um, raising of the bastions, lowering of the church's triumphalist claims. Um, and then in in chapter eleven in your book, it's titled "Eli Wiesel, Wiesel and the Silence of the God of God Trope." which is kind of this um, uh, uh, um, reading of the Weimar Gnostic theology um, from people that Ratzinger quotes in other speeches like Ernst Bloch, the Jewish messiness, Martin Buber, which is uh, the subject of a book that um, Hans von Balthasar writes on Catholic-Jewish dialogue that's pointed to as being one of the precedents for Nostra Aetate. and then also Hans Jonas, and Hans Jonas has this... Uh, a thesis called The Concept of God after Auschwitz, when he talks about like God's retraction. And it's filtered through the, the kind of messianic ideas of Lurianic Kabbalah. And then von um, uh, Balthazar takes this up as the idea of the kenosis of the church, as this kind of typological retraction um, in which the church has to go through its passion again and lower itself and enter into a, re-enter the catacombs and enter into a to be able to make peace with the world. Uh, and again, lowering that transformation a triumphalist image of itself. So, if we um, follow that forward in this kind of uh, Kabbalistic messianism to today, um, there's a very prominent thesis that's actually coming from Peter Seewald, uh, who I, I understand is a former Marxist, um, and this book by uh, the the or uh, Italian philosopher Giorgio Agamben called "The Mystery of Evil," that's kind of swept the traditional Catholic world a, a storm about how. Um, Benedict XVI's uh, resignation was actually a kind of uh, cataconic cataconic act and where he functioned as the restrainer who releases the mystery of iniquity with his resignation so that the church can enter into its passion and enter into the state state of emergency. Um, And then if you read Giorgio Agamben's other works, he's quoting directly from uh, Gershom Sholem and promoting Sabbatai and Sabbatai uh, Sabbatai Zevi's uh, messianic ideas. So, um, this kind of brings us to this little expose we want we're hoping to do on a on a character named joshua charles who's a you know a former speech writer for mike pence and uh, has written for the times of israel jerusalem post um he's friends with dennis prager and uh now he's fashioning himself as a, a traditional catholic eschatologist um so anyway um yeah do you have any thoughts about that or
3: yeah i i do have thoughts about that because uh this is this is preposterous i mean f- first of all what about peter zewald what about peter zewald what he he interviews uh Ratzinger, uh one of the interviews he did and he says to uh Ratzinger, what about your great uncle <laughs> rotsinger says yeah he was a character next question well wait stop wait a minute Wait a minute. Are you serious about this interview or not? Your great uncle was Georg Ratzinger. Georg Ratzinger wrote a book called Judicious Evapsleben. okay, Jewish Business Practices. And if you look him up, he wrote it under a pseudonym, but everybody knows, Allie, that he wrote it. And everybody is calling your great uncle an anti Semite. So was your great uncle an anti Semite? Yes or no? That's the question that Zavold should have asked. If he were uh, uh, a a real reporter, and instead he's coming up with this cycle, this Jewish mumbo jumbo about uh, you know the final days and leading. This is crazy. There's one thing in, in his book. The when he goes and deals with the uh, the resignation, deals with the Williamson affair, and then deals with the resignation. He quotes uh, Der Spiegel which is in generally a wretched socialist magazine that got a license from the Jew to promote their ideas. But the Spiegel said that when Ratzinger resigned, it was Fahnenflucht, Fahnenflucht, which means desertion under fire. And the Spiegel was right. That's what it was. It was Fahnenflucht and his cowardice, his inability to suffer for the church. The first time I met Ratzinger, he gave a speech in which he said the church needs people who are willing to suffer for the truth. Well, how about you, uh, your holiness? Were you willing to suffer for the truth? Were you willing to fit, uh, stay to the end? Uh, and instead, what did you, he said? Again, this is Zavald I'm quoting Zavall here. Uh, when uh benedict when bratzinger became pope his first prayer was pray that i do not flee when the wolves come that's in Zaval's biography then Zayval goes and talks about what it was like in the vatican after he resigned and he said the the people the vatican the uh, the prelates the people at the vatican were walking around like sheep without a shepherd well, you put, you know, you put two and two, but you're not going to add it up to to have four. And then you quote uh, Spiegel saying it's fluke. That's what it was. That's what it was. This was a man, I mean, the verdict of history, I think, is in now. He will, we will never be able to change what he did. And what he did was basically unleash Francis on the church. And what does that mean? It means he unleashed the Jesuits from New York City as the people who are running the Catholic Church now. The editorial board of America Magazine is now running the church, and then he comes up with these preposterous press conferences on airplanes. It's like reminds me of the story of the Vatican where they said the the um, Swiss Guards are now going to be armed with tranquilizer guns. Because what they're going to do now is as soon as the Pope gets, they're going to shoot the Pope as soon as he gets on an airplane. So here is this uh, press conference he gives in which he says conservatives are afraid of blah, blah, blah. Uh, He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know anything about America. What's happening here is that the Jesuits were on the wrong side of the cultural wars ever since the 1960s. And if you want to go back to the beginning, read my book, John Cardinal Kroll and the Cultural Revolution, based on archival material from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And at a certain point, neither Ball nor Kroll, Ball, Bill Ball, the lawyer for the Pennsylvania Catholic Conference, would share any information with the Jesuits because it would invariably end up into in the dossier of Leo Pfeffer, the Jew who was the opponent on the other side. The, Jew, the, the, the Jesuits had sold out to America at that time. And the reward was that basically Georgetown became a feeder school for the State Department. And they've been in the pocket of the Americanist ever since. Now, this is the guy that the Pope is siding with, against the people who tried to hold the line. I'm not saying they didn't make mistakes, but they were people who sincerely tried to hold the line on contraception, abortion, and all of the sexual issues, and now the Pope is demonizing them. This is the legacy of Joseph Ratzinger. He opened that door. Time Magazine called him the first American Pope, and I think this is why they understood that. Time Magazine has always been the propaganda ministry for the CIA, so they know
2: whereof they speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If somebody wants to get dazzled, like the traditional influencer world seems to be by prophecies, um, if they want to do typology 101, it's not very difficult that in order to receive the, if the world is being prepared for a Mashiach, that they would have to aim to erode the claim of supersessionism. Being it's an ontological reality, they aim to to rewrote it in the minds of people. That's why I think it's so important to keep it front and center, that we have to identify the enmity is the aim of the destruction of Western civilization, in particular, the Holy Catholic Church, in particular, the Eucharist. And um, Will, do you have a follow-up question to your last one? Because Um, The author that he refers to there, he's dazzled almost the entire community overnight um, with this person that is the PR person for the neocon Mike Pence. That seems to be the foot in the door for him, and he sort of repeats interview after interview this kind of same thing, talking about Monsieur Dillon and Freemasonry, 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 Freemasonry. and now he's positioned as a typological um, expert, and he's got... He's got some associations with people as crazy as you might not even be familiar with this character Jonathan Con- Con man over in the Protestant world, and dazzles people, you know, with this, <laughs> okay, the Jewish Zionist rah rah rah. But um, unless we can really understand that the target of this movement, the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, is in our minds this claim that. Christ alone is the singular path to the Father, that, that nothing else matters. We have to be able to preserve this. And if the preservers, the traditionalists, are off kilter because they're dazzled with ideas of Freemasonry, yeah. and I know you've I, discussed in the past, Freemasonry is dead. No, I mean, um, if you want, you want answer to, answer. you want
3: to read uh, my take on Freemasonry. Read the Jewish revolutionary spirit, and the 18th century in Europe was the age of Freemasonry. It was the cutting edge of revolution at that time. But what you're seeing here, to get back to the the crucial document that I we started off talking about at the beginning, where they talk about the Jewish people. That's not. That's that's a Zionist translation taken from Protestant Bibles when the Protestants were really affected by Zionism. I'm talking about mainstream. You know, this is like 1948 when the state of Israel has been founded and all these people feel horrible about what they're calling the Holocaust. And we need their they need our sympathy and their poor persecuted people. And so they change the sleight of hand, changing Israelites, which is in the Latin uh, Vulgate, uh, change it to the Jewish people. Well, as soon as you say that, hey. I guess Jonathan Greenblatt is uh, part of these, uh, this uh, 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 operation. He Everything that St. Uh, that, uh, Paul said about the Israelites must apply to Jonathan Greenblatt, because we're not talking about Israelites anymore. We're talking about the Jewish people. This is the type of underhandedness that was baked in to the USCC during this period of time, and the mendacity that they have been using, and I'm sure— it's it's influencing this guy who's putting the words into Mike Pence's mouth.
2: Will, would you like to comment?
4: Sure, yes. Um, and just to speak on, tap on what you're saying about the enmity here, Doug. Um, uh, you know, we don't have the, uh, you know, when we have uh, our Lord calling out the, the synagogue as you brood of vipers. And then we have um, that as a reference to the the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and then um, you know we have the synagogue of Satan that reappears in, in the book of the apocalypse, and yet we have this whole industry of um, online traditional Catholic influencers who are there to be the restrainers of the the tradition and um, uh, the 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 permanent teachings of the church. They are now um, in this. Position where they're obscuring um, the source of entity, and you know if you look at from Father Dennis Fahey, um to all the uh, 19th century uh, uh, church scholars on the issue of Freemasonry, including yourself, are all they're all pointing to um, the synagogue, um, Zionism, and uh, the the Jewish revolutionary spirit as the source of uh, the Masonic upheaval in, in in Europe and America. So um, it it seems like um this this person that we're talking about has been sewn in as Levin um to introduce uh these things that have already taken the Protestant eschatological world by storm we think of him kind of as like a um a Catholic version of um Hal Lindsey or um uh, what's the other
3: right, yeah that's,
4: what's the that's other right. that we talk about yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, are swallowing it up. Yeah. It's complete, there's, there's completely, completely
3: alien, completely alien to Catholic theology. And the, yes. if, if you want the, the the straight story, it's in the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. There's yes. nothing. There's nothing mysterious about this. You know, they they were hiding in fear, out of fear of the Jews. Now they have the Holy Spirit with them. Peter comes to Jerusalem, and he opens. The opening line is, "You killed Christ." Well, how's that for an yes. opening line? And uh, it's the best opening line he could have made because then you they say the Jews were cut to the heart. Well, if you're not going to open, say you did something wrong, why should the Jew feel uh, cut to the heart? And as soon as they're cut to the heart, they say, What must we do to be saved? And Peter says, You must be baptized. That's it. And I said yes. this before any Pope who goes to Jerusalem, as Ratzinger did, and doesn't say that is not preaching the gospel.
2: Yes. Yeah, and Ratzi going exactly. to
3: Jerusalem and he says, well, we've had 10 years of Catholic Jewish dialogue and we talked here and we talked there. Well, wait a minute. No, that's the gospel. You're not preaching the gospel. Same yeah. thing. Same thing is true of Ben Shapiro when he's talking to Bishop Barron, Ben Shapiro, yes. the kind of cocky Jew who is on top of the world says, so am I going to hell? Am I going to hell Bishop? And instead of the answer should have been Ben are you baptized? Baptism, instead, baptism, <laughs> baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, yeah. we can make exceptions for, you know, the Yano Mamo in the year 600 BC who could not know about Jesus Christ, but you obviously know who Jesus Christ is. And if you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. That's the message. That's it. There is nothing. And it's not salv- racial. It's there not is, racial. There, is no, racial. there is nothing salvific about being a member of the ADL. There is no connection between the ADL and the Hebrew people except what they fashion as their own propaganda device. There's no connection there. That connection, that pe- that Hebrew people and the covenant they had ended when Jesus Christ was crucified. That's it. There is no curse on the Jewish people. The Jewish people can be saved, as Peter made perfectly clear when he spoke to the Jews in Jerusalem. But the
2: condition is you have to be baptized. Yes. So when we began this, we said we were going to speak about the affairs of the world and the affairs of the church and the theology that both unites and divides that. And that is the claim of Christ, that no man gets to the Father but through me and the claim of the Catholic Church that entry into this is baptism. And that simple thing that there is one way and only one way, and the law of non-contradiction applies. We have a world of Catholics generally that are scared to say this 101, a, a child should be able to have a straight reading of this, um, at least through the catechism, and understand that is what we have to hold to. It's pretty simple, but yet people are getting dazzled by everything else in the, under the sun and forgetting about this, that it's that and, simple. And I'd just like to add
3: as clarification that the bishops of the United States did affirm Catholic teaching. They did demand that that statement that the Mosaic Covenant be, uh, is eternally valid be removed from the catechism, and they were subverted by their own bureaucracy. That's the story that needs to be told here.
4: Now, oh, they, yeah.
3: now they may be derelict in terms of delegating responsibility to people who should not be exercising that responsibility, but they did affirm
2: the traditional teaching. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, I think we could. Bo- I think we can pull it full circle. I really appreciate having you on there and your insights, Dr. Jones. I think you're a most important voice in the world today. And if we, it, if if we're truly seeing a window of opportunity um, that people can re-examine your central claims that you have made and continue to make, would any of the other um, Boyd or Will, any kind of final comment that you would like to finish with? Do you have anything
1: you want to say, Boyd? No, uh, Dr. Tones. Uh, thank you so much for being on. It was uh, really good to hear your insights.
3: Well, yeah. thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. This is Logos Rising. This is the conversation that has to take place. And uh, what we believe is that the truth is great and that it will prevail no matter how much money the ADL has, okay? They believe the truth is the opinion of the powerful. We're going toe to toe with the most powerful people in the world, but uh, we believe in the truth and the Jesus Christ said he was the way, the truth and the light, and yeah. we are going to prevail.
2: Well, you've been graced with this thick skin and I think people have to understand that um, if with any kind of movement, And we have to stand for the truth. Will, any final comments?
4: I just want to thank you, Dr. Jones, for sharing this time with us. And uh, I really value your comments. I look forward to re-listening to this. Thank you.
2: Okay, so we're going to conclude, everybody. Thank you, everybody um, out there. This has been Dr. Deep State. And I hope everybody is doing well. Thank you very much.